What astronauts eat in space has evolved over the years. The very first meal that American astronaut John Glenn ate in space was applesauce and sugar tablets. Sounds appetizing, huh? Then came freeze-dried, dehydrated foods, similar to what you might take on a camping trip. I remember visiting the Kennedy Space Center as a kid, and one of the highlights of the trip was eating space ice cream. This was essentially a sugary powder that vaguely had the flavor of ice cream and was definitely not frozen, but it did the trick for a little kid. Luckily, space programs realized just how important food is to the psyche of people traveling far from home and upped their food game. Canned and frozen foods were taken up to the space station, and way back in the 70s even, Russian astronauts commemorated their trip with caviar. These days, there's a lot more food options in space and companies dedicated to making the extraterrestrial culinary experience even better. My guest today on the podcast, Graham Green from Mission Space Food, is one of those folks. Inspired by popular space food from days of yore, they are developing a next generation line of food products for both Earthlings and space missions that focus on key components of food like nutrition and taste within the context and the constraints of dining in space. We'll hear about what they're working on, how they're thinking about personalized nutrition, and what the future of food in space could look like. Welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. Really excited to talk today. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved with Mission Space Food? Yeah, absolutely. I started cooking at a really young age. I got interested in food probably in like middle school, to be honest. And then from there, spent between the ages of 17 and 25, spent about eight years working in Michelin star restaurants in California and New York. And then I spent a little bit of time abroad also in Copenhagen and in England. And then I kind of had this inkling that I wanted to do something outside of the restaurant scope for a bunch of reasons, but then COVID happened and it really, really accelerated that process. Uh, so at the beginning, around the beginning of the year, I got linked in with Mission Space Food and it's really been an exciting opportunity to build food products that can affect the way that people interact with food on a larger scale than it would have otherwise if you were working at, say, like a 40C fine dining restaurant. That's really cool. And what is your role at Mission Space Food? My title is Chief Product Officer, but more tangibly, I spend time developing prototypes and working on manufacturing to ensure consistency and really just building out the product from initial concept to, to delivering that. It sounds very different than working at a restaurant, a whole different scope of day-to-day -day activities. Yeah, definitely. For a long time in my restaurant career, I was sort of feeling like maybe it wasn't a, a perfect long-term fit for what I wanted to do. I think anyone who interacts with food or, or becomes knowledgeable about food feels a certain amount of like responsibility to all the problems that exist in society with the way we interact with and produce and consume food and the way that ties into people's physical health and, and the environment and everything. But I think having worked at strictly fine, ultra high-end fine dining restaurants for so long, I had an outlook on the food world that I just felt like I needed to be do, doing something where I could sort of help people with the skills that I had. And so I was always really interested in the whole consumer packaged goods space because of that. Because if you think about making a food product that people crave that's also healthy for them, the scale of effect that that can have if it's ethically produced is just so much bigger than what you could ever hope to accomplish in you know, a small fine dining restaurant where you have to make the food by hand every day and it, it gets maxed out at maybe, maybe 100 diners per day. That makes a ton of sense. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about ingredients and sourcing too. Yeah. You all at Mission Space Food have a very diverse team. Can you talk a little bit about the backgrounds of some of your colleagues? We definitely have varied backgrounds. For instance, 
the person who runs our manufacturing. He actually owns and operates a fortune cookie factory in Oakland. Our CEO, Shireen Reza, has a background in food and screenwriting, but was formerly the deputy head of global business at Palantir. Our CTO is a postdoctorate fellow at MIT, and he just he does things that, quite frankly, like I, I couldn't even explain in a reasonable way over a podcast. I, I don't know enough about like fluid dynamics or like nanotechnology or what those words even mean in an, in an applied set. It's, it's really great. It's really great to work, <laughs> I think, with a group of people who have relevant experience, but aren't necessarily entrenched in this industry. Like I have food experience, but I've never, you know, worked for, for a huge food manufacturing company. And similarly, Aaron, our CTO, has a background, but he isn't necessarily entrenched in this industry either. It can be helpful sometimes to look at the existing problems from an outsider's perspective. That makes a ton of sense. What are you doing at Mission Space Food? Is it just space food or are you developing stuff for Earth yeah, so, as well? The short version, I guess, would be that our goal is to build on a history of products that were developed for space that ended up sparking enormous consumer markets on Earth. For instance, energy bars and, and modern baby formula, the biggest examples of foods that were innovated initially to fit the strains of, you know, shelf-stable, lightweight, nutrient-dense, and then they ended up having massive application on Earth. I think now the energy bar and the baby formula markets are in the, like the tens of billions so that's our goal is to build the future food products that are well suited to handle the constraints of space, but that also satisfy consumer markets on Earth. That makes sense. Do you all have a particular philosophy that you are basing the products you're developing around? Yeah, I think there are a couple of ways to answer that question. But on one end, we believe that the, the constraints of space or the environment of space in a way is kind of like an accelerated version of what humans would go through on Earth. Because of that, if we can create products that can stand up to those harsh environments, then they're then they're more than suited to fit the demands of Earth. But also, we want to be able to challenge some of the norms and how food is produced and and the types of food that are produced at, at scale. I think a lot of times when you look at like food preservation techniques, whether that's canning or freeze drying or any any number like retort packaging, a lot of these applications have been for cheap foods or foods that aren't very healthy for people. And that, that's something that we hope to challenge moving forward. What's interesting is that. A lot of this technology that exists now, not very much of it is, is new. It's not necessarily like ancient techniques, like when you talk about fermentation and those types of things, because while those techniques might make the food last into a season where you can't grow crops anymore, it doesn't necessarily allow it to last for years on end without refrigeration. But many of the techniques like canning and retort and freeze drying, and they're not necessarily recent in innovations. So I, I think in the short term, our goal is to apply those types of processes to higher end foods and to offer an eating experience that normally isn't in the domain of canned or, or shelf stable or preserved foods. I think normally people associate those types of foods with being bad if you think about things like powdered eggs or, or dehydrated milk and those types of foods. But I think that there's a kind of an untapped potential for those types of uh, for those types of technologies. I think that makes a ton of sense. I know, for example, Patagonia Provisions recently have been trying to hit that market too with more high-end canned fish and canned goods for hiking and yeah. those types of activities. So I definitely think you're on the very beginning of a, of a cool trend yeah. of elevating, you know, those types and of things. I think in foods. the context of in the of Patagonia Provisions, I mean, I'm a climber, so I definitely, I, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to do like higher end fish preservation, but I think that's just another sort of an example of even in, even in other cultures, like in, in Spain, for instance, they have a, they have a culture around very, very high quality canned fish. And so to me, there's nothing inherent about the process of canning. That means that it has to be done to cheap foods that just don't taste very good. I think we've just sort of attached those two things together culturally that canned food has to also not be great, but in other parts of the world, that's not necessarily the norm or the expectation. That's a really good point. Really good point. 
Well, I'm curious now about where you all are getting your inspiration from. Are you looking at what astronauts are eating these days? Or are you talking to astronauts about what they would like to eat and kind of taking it from there? Yeah, there are a few different avenues, I guess, because ultimately we're trying to make a product that's not just suitable for astronauts and similarly not just suitable for Earth. So the inspiration for our current product came from a few different kind of like pain points that either currently exist or used to exist. One of those is that in eating in space, there are different constraints than eating on Earth. And so I think gravity is just, it's something that obviously we all take for granted. But for instance, if you were to eat a tortilla chip on Earth and there's crumbs, the crumbs immediately fall to the floor and it's not necessarily like a big issue. There's no consequences to that. But if you imagine eating something like that in zero gravity where you're in an environment that has very delicate equipment that you rely on to maintain the atmosphere in the space station or whatever it is, and you eat a tortilla chip and then immediately the crumbs start floating everywhere and there's no real good mechanism to like getting the crumbs out of the air, those types of things can have pretty serious consequences. So one of the first things that we wanted to do is create a food product that has like really great textural contrast to eat crunchy food in in an environment where sometimes it's not possible. So that would be like one of the first sources of inspiration was like, how do do we do that? And so the the quick solution is just to make something that's bite-sized rather than something that you would have to take big bites out of. And then the second point of inspiration was that in the past, there were problems with the astronauts. It's no longer so much of a problem, but there were problems with the astronauts uh, taking their daily multivitamins and their their vitamin D tablets, which is a really important thing when you're in a closed environment like that and you don't necessarily have direct sunlight. And similar, I think, to Earth in that people have a hard time building habits around things that they don't find pleasurable. And so that was the other source of the inspiration was like, how could we we create a micronutrient tablet Quite frankly, it's like as delicious or more delicious than your your favorite confectionery items. And so that's that's sort of how we landed on our, our initial product here. And are you allowed to tell us what your initial yeah, product is sure. going to be? Um, the, the name is Astrius. And essentially, it's a fortified confectionery product, spherical in size. And it, it has really like a, a multi-sensory component to it. Another source of inspiration for space is that when astronauts go up to the space station for the first time and experience microgravity, there's a fluid shift. And so normally... The, the pull of gravity that affects the way that your fluid, the fluids in your body pools towards your feet, uh, doesn't happen anymore. And so a lot of the fluids will kind of pool towards your head and it'll, it'll dampen your ability to taste and to smell. And so there are tons of cases where astronauts will talk about, you know, liking salt or spicy foods when they didn't in the past. And so our initial product has a crunchy exterior and then a creamy chocolate ganache core and then a macadamia nut in the middle. So that's, that's like the big contrast <clears throat> element to it. But then... In addition to that, we kind of leveraged something called, it's called trigeminal stimulation, which is the trigeminal nerve is sort of like the, one of the, one of the main nerves that associate, that people associate with flavor, but it's not necessarily flavor on your tongue. So if you imagine like eating a wasabi, wasabi peas, or if you imagine eating like a a peppermint patty, that sort of cooling effect, that's another thing that we're doing in our, in our products is so one of the flavors is a mint flavor. So you have the crunchy exterior with a creamy core and the, and the macadamia nut. And then you also have a cooling effect from peppermint extract. And then in addition to that, we coat actually popping candy on the outside. So while all this is going on, there's sort of like an audible sensation of popping on the inside of your head while you're eating it. So it's sort of like a total multi-sensory experience, but it's also providing that while in addition to being fun, it's providing a daily multivitamin. In, in addition to other things, we fortify it with acetylcholine, uh, which has great benefits for cognitive enhancement. In addition to that, we use lion's mane mushroom. There's been a lot of research going into the benefits for some of these dried mushroom products. People cited that maybe they could be good for combating Alzheimer's or dementia, but uh, it's definitely, definitely a valuable thing to add to your diet. 
Wow, that whole package that you mentioned just sounds dreamy from the taste to the crunch to the sound to all of the health benefits. I can't wait till it comes <laughs> yeah. out. We are looking to hopefully do a soft launch in the in the near future. And so we have a wait list signed up and then hopefully early next year, we'll be able to do the real launch there. I just want to walk back one second about how astronauts, their entire palate seems to shift and change when they're in space. Are there any other physiological changes when it comes to how food is perceived that happen in space? Like, you know, does your sense of smell change? Yeah, Earth? I think, I mean, I think quite frankly, everything that you just mentioned happens to a certain degree. But for me, what's most interesting about this change is that at least, at least to a certain degree on Earth, we rely on our senses to tell us the amount of certain flavors that are, that are really safe for us to eat, right? Like you can't eat, you can't eat something that's way, way, way too salty because your body will recognize that that's going to be bad for you. And so it stops you from eating that thing that's way too salty. And that's why there are plants that you can't eat because they're too bitter or too sour or whatever it is. And while you can't necessarily trust your body's reaction to everything, because I think some people would have too many problems with ice cream and candy and, and things like that. To a certain degree, we've built our, our diets and our cuisines around the way that our, our senses interact with like flavor and smell. And so that that's for me is just like, is really kind of fascinating looking forward and that astronauts have talked about needing way more salt in their food or needing way more spicy components in their food. And there have been probably like recorded problems with vision changes because of the amount of salt that astronauts used to eat on the space missions or, or even like people have talked about potentially there being a, a problem with gut microbiome as a result of all the, all the sriracha sauce that astronauts were putting on their food, which is just crazy <laughs> to think about what would happen in the really oh, long wow in the really long-term missions and people living in space for an extended period of time, like how do you, how do you combat the fact that now the body wants certain amounts of different ingredients that maybe aren't healthy for it? Yeah. Or even crave certain things too, and kind of have to work with what they have up there, right? Like how do you make coffee in space? You know, do you get that same kind of smell that you get when you make a pot of coffee and how does not being able to have that affect their needs and desires and cravings and then what they turn to in that sense to solve that right, craving. Totally. And, and in terms of the coffee, the coffee thing, I think there's been, there's been a few different iterations. I think we're probably in like version 3.0 as, as far as I'm informed. I think originally they were adding instant coffee. They had instant coffee in, in kind of the same retort, similar to the retort pouches they use for the food. They have like this special straw mechanism that has sort of a pinch on it so that liquid can't float out into the zero gravity environment. And so it was more just adding water to instant coffee. And then I think past that, a couple of different iterations have happened where they started to use Hawaiian coffee, I believe, after a, a specific astronaut made a request. And then after that, I believe there was, there was a special cup that they started to use because of certain principles of like fluid dynamics. It was built in a way that allowed them to drink out of it because you can't even, if you imagine like having a cup of coffee in space, like you can't drink because there's no gravity. And so service, service tension kind of right. becomes the main limiting factor. So you would either have to like scoop it, <laughs> scoop out the coffee somehow. But so someone had made a cup, I believe, uh, that used like certain principles of fluid dynamics so that you could sort of drink out of the cup. And then I think even past that, there was something similar to an espresso machine that got sent up. It was more of an experiment, but I think it was a few different companies, in, including Lavazza, I believe, uh, worked on designing this like zero gravity espresso machine. I, I don't know if it became a permanent fixture necessarily, but it's an interesting thing to think about because it seems like as we move towards these longer term missions, the psychology of the team becomes kind of more in the forefront. And so they have to figure out ways to address that. And and I think food and beverage is is kind of a core element. You have to get your priorities straight here with, you know, being able to have coffee <laughs> in space. But yeah. um, I think too, you know, there's such nostalgia around food. I don't know. I think 
when you're up in space or, you know, even all of us during COVID, right? Like everyone kind of turned to comfort foods and started baking again. And there's definitely some connection to feeling good and what you're eating. So it's fascinating to learn about what's being prioritized and how food does affect the psychology of people, not just on a space mission, but just in general here on Earth too. Yeah, I, to I totally, totally agree with that. When do you think your first product is going to be available on the market? So we have we have a wait list going right now at, uh, at missionspacefood.com that people can sign up for where we do a soft launch in the very near future. And then we tentatively are planning to have the product launch like very, very early next year. That's great. And then are you guys thinking about secondary products or follow-up products as well? Yeah, so the, we, do, we do have a couple of the things that we're sort of iterating on. The Astrius, which is our first product, is sort of a micronutrient delivery system that, that we plan on being able to have that be a customized product in the future. So someone could go to the website and input a little bit of information based on their dietary needs and their, their age and their demographic and everything and have essentially like a tailored nutritional plan delivered to the door in a, in a bite-sized product that's that's super delicious but so the the later on products we're sort of planning on doing like macronutrients so this would be like a meal replacement that would likely use some of the food preservation systems that we talked about just a, a few minutes ago but in a way that doesn't necessarily compromise like the flavor and the eating experience to, to still be able to offer kind of a multi-sensory experience that you would maybe expect from a, a, a restaurant that you would like to go to but in a delivery system that is shelf stable Wow, that's really cool. Taking personalized nutrition and creating full-on programs for that yeah, in the future. Because I, I think, yeah, definitely. That's that's exactly it. Because I think for us, one of the things that we realized early on, there's an enormous problem with micronutrient deficiency in the United States. I think a lot of times malnutrition is associated with places that just don't have enough to eat. But there's sort of an opposite problem of places that have too much to eat, but all of the food is calorie rich, but nutrient poor. And so in a country where there's 92% of people have micronutrient deficiency, there is an enormous supplement industry that exists for people to be able to get these like powdered, flavorless, bland supplements. But I don't think that that necessarily serves the bulk of people who make their buying decisions and their eating decisions based on flavor. So I think the types of people who would go and do the research and search out, you know, what powders they should be putting in their protein shake in the morning or what tablets they should be swallowing every morning, they likely already have a lifestyle that's pretty healthy. They're probably exercising and, and eating a lot of salads and fresh vegetables. So what we're hoping to do is address the bulk of people who simply can't stick to a plan like that because it's hard to build habits around things that don't give you pleasure. That makes sense. I'm curious about the ingredients you all are choosing. It sounds like the goal is to have this very well-rounded nutritional product. So how are you thinking about the ingredients that you're putting into the yeah, end for product? Sure. So there's a couple of different factors there. One of the factors is that it's pretty common in the processed food industry, um, especially with chocolates, that chocolate can be sourced from parts of the world that don't necessarily have the same idea of like safe labor standards as we do. And so First and foremost, our, our goal is to source products from parts of the world that treat the people who grow the food in like a respectful and reasonable manner. And and then I think second from that is that we don't we don't want to use any products that are like empty calories. So while we are looking at fortified nutrition in, in the form of like supplements and in, in the product, we're also looking to use whole food ingredients because ultimately like that's the best way to get your nutrients. So we, we're using things like teff flour mm -hmm. in the wafer or we're using lion's mane mushroom in the filling or we're using whole macadamia nuts or dark chocolate. So these are these are things that do have quite a bit of flavor and maybe you know chocolate and macadamia and these kind of things would normally be associated with with a dessert but this is at least our belief is that this is like kind of a way to get the whole food nutrition but then also it's it's fortified in a way that's just a, a way a way more dense version of your regular multivitamin. That's cool. And I like that it sounds like it's going to yeah, be gluten-free yeah, too. It is yeah, it's also gluten-free. <laughs> 
That's great. Very cool. Let's switch gears just a little bit. I'm curious, you know so much about space and space food. What do you think the future of food and space is going to look like? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think there are there are a lot of different ideas going around now. One one thing that I think you brought up that's really interesting is nostalgia and how that affects people's perception of food. I, I, I do think that for future longer term space missions, producing a bulk of the food on Earth and having that preserved on Earth and then sent into space at some point won't be a viable solution. And so we're going to have to figure out how these food products can be grown in a closed loop system on the space station, whether that's lab grown meat or indoor farming. But the, the component of nostalgia, which I think is interesting, is that what's nostalgic for one person is not nostalgic for everyone. I can just remember growing up and I really loved tuna salad as a kid, but my friends in the cafeteria didn't didn't think that I was necessarily appetizing. And you can imagine how different that would be with a crew <laughs> from all different nationalities on the space station. Things like cheese products to people who didn't grow up having preserved dairy products versus kimchi for people who never had, you know, preserved cabbage products. So I think the the whole conversation of nostalgia is, is really an interesting thing to think about. And how do you make sure everybody gets their needs met too? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting way. It's going to be interesting to see how the space station tackles that. Maybe, you know, they'll have Taco Tuesdays or something like that. Totally. Are there any other technologies that you're seeing that you think could be applied to eating or cooking or even growing food in space? At one point, I was a butcher also. And I think for me, probably the most interesting thing is the lab-grown meat. There's so many problems around the way that we produce and consume meat in the United States that just have all of these subsequent like society-wide issues, whether that's environmental or, or people's personal health. And so it's sort of a fur further proof of the technologies that apply to space can also address earth problems. So we're talking even just about the usage of water that it takes to produce the beef that we consume in the U.S. There, there are lab-grown meat companies that are, it, re it really seems like they're going to be able to grow the same amount of beef at just a tiny fraction of the amount of water and land usage uh, that we're using now. And that's not even pointing out the animal rights or the animal welfare problems that exist in the in the way that we produce meat in the United States. And so I think for me, that's probably the most exciting part. Yeah. And that industry is accelerating so much these days. So it's going to be really great to see where it goes and how quickly it can be applied to so many different things. But yeah, I agree. I think I think cell cultured meat is definitely a food technology that could be used in so many different settings, especially in yeah. space. Because yeah, how are you going to grow a cow in space yeah, you know, yeah. down the line? Probably not going to. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Just the, the last point in the culture meat, I think that's for the, the cell culture meat. That's really interesting for me is I think we've recognized to a certain degree that the way we produce food now is a problem. And so things like plant-based meats are an alternative that exists. But I don't know, maybe it's just because I've worked in restaurants or been a butcher, but I'm admittedly like less less optimistic about the, the plant-based meats as a solution to to feed people who have been eating meat for you know decades and and wouldn't be convinced I, I just don't think that those people would be convinced to switch to meat that's made out of kale and beets <laughs> yeah was well, there anything else you'd like to add about either what you're doing or mission space food in general or just other thoughts about the food industry as someone who's in the middle of this really cool brand new project no i mean i think i'm I'm really excited to talk about this stuff all the time. It's it's kind of a new career change for me personally in the last year or so. And yeah, I just think there's so much exciting stuff happening in the in the future in the in this whole food space and the food technology space. I would just say if you need to keep in touch with what we're doing, uh, you can check out our website at missionspacefood.com and sign up for our waiting list. And yeah, really, really appreciate you having me on today, Wendy. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. I can't wait to see that product up on shelves because I can't wait to try it. Like I said, it just sounds delicious. Anything with macadamia nuts, I'm in. And then you add chocolate. Yes. 
Yeah, I'm looking wait. forward to it. <laughs> That's the show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And I will see you next time. <laughs>